Bracken and Bell together. There's Cooper breaking through. A chance now. This will be the fourth ball for Aberdeen. Cooper puts it in with his when things are going wrong against you you don't get the breaks of the ball Cooper in with Stewart he didn't really know where the ball was but he got the break and as you say it's a schoolboy's dream being able to take your time knowing that really all you got to do is crack it into the back of the net Good evening and welcome to the latest Here We Go podcast. Uh, my name is Martin Clunas, I'm your host for the evening. As always, this week I'm joined by Richard Hay. How are you doing, Richard? Quite well, Martin, thank you. We're joined this evening by Simon Cato. How are you doing, Simon? I'm very well, thanks, Martin. How are you? I'm not bad, thank you. It's a delight to have you back. To kick things off, we're going to go, we're going to travel back in time to well St. Johnson at home. We obviously, in the euphoria of the win at Ibrox, we perhaps maybe got a little bit carried away. I think maybe I did. No, you asked me if the manager deserved the credit, and I said he did, um, because you should praise him when he got it right. On this occasion, definitely a situation where, not just the manager, but some of the players as well, there's a lot of criticism, we we seemed to once again against St Johnston get it completely wrong, didn't we? Well, we developed a very good habit last season of being able to uh, put away St Johnston with a minimum of fuss, and I wonder if that's partly because we had players last season that really liked playing in between the lines. Guys like Greg Stewart and Ryan Christie really flourished against St Johnston. He set up in a very dogmatic very capable, obviously, set lineup, and um, we really struggled to break them down, just like we had in the first half at McDermott in the earlier league meeting. And I do wonder, McInnes afterwards talked about a physical hangover from the two games in Glasgow that had preceded the St Johnston game. I even wonder if it was maybe just a tactical hangover. The fact that obviously both of those performances had been very much a back-to-the-wall display, very much containment. Don Ball was uh, was brought in to play defensive midfield. I think tactically that's definitely the one issue I would really, really have setting up at home to St Johnston. Capable as we know St Johnston are, Don Ball in a holding midfield role. I totally get what he brings to the side if we're going away and it's going to be a backs-to-the-wall performance. I'm not so sure what he brings to the side against the likes of a St Johnston at home. I thought that was deeply disappointing. But I just thought the team as a whole were just caught in that same mindset that they'd been in for Hamden, for Ibrox. And it took a long, long time to get going. The first 20 minutes of the first half were, were really sluggish, really slow. And then as the first half went on, we did actually get a little bit more control, a little bit more of a grip on the game without ever really looking like scoring. Obviously, both McLennan and Wright started. Now again, obviously, he's still got ongoing hernia issues. It's going to be about managing him the best we can through this rather hectic period. And both of them disappointed, I think, McLennan and Wright, when given that opportunity. But Wright more so, as we'll discuss later with Livingston, because he's now a couple of years further on to his development. And you're looking for him to take up the mantle and start capitalising on these first-team opportunities he's getting. And I'm really not seeing it from him. Uh, it shows a lot about a player, whether they're going to make that step up from being a promising youngster to being somebody who can, week after week, influence first-team games. 
And it's maybe hard right now because some of the other senior attacking players are either out injured or just not delivering. So we're looking for a bit more than we might have done this time last season from Scott Wright. Is it as simple as just saying that Tommy Wright has Derek McInnes' number? I, I don't think it's as simple as that. I, I, I think that if St Johnston are coming up to Pataudry, you should expect them to dig in, uh, try and keep the game nil-nil for as long as they can, and then try and nick a goal towards the end. They are fit, athletic, well organised they are. They don't have a lot of creativity in the team but uh, they're not going to give give anything away and uh, you know, in the games leading up to the Aberdeen game, I'll get the stat wrong but they had won 6 out of 7 something like that, so they're on a very good run very strong defensively I also think that um, Joe Shaughnessy has got something to prove when he comes back and plays against Aberdeen as well, because he always seems to, to do well against us, so no, I don't think it's a case of um, Wright having anything on uh, McInnes, I think it's a case of Tommy Wright came up with a game plan, executed it in precisely the way that uh, McInnes would have anticipated, and we just didn't have the the guile to, to get round them, and then we got caught at the end of the game with the two goals. I think there is something worth elaborating on, though, about his tactical setup, that the that there was a very high press on our full-backs in particular, because they are so key to how we attack. And again, we'll come on to discussing Livingston and the impact that Conor McLennan had. But it was Conor McLennan in tandem with Shea Logan. And a lot of McLennan's good work against the Mirren was also because Shea Logan was able to offer his presence further up the pitch. And against St Johnston, it was quite subtle, but both Lowe and Logan were very, very stymied by that tactical switch by uh, by St Johnston. I think the other thing about McGinn not starting was that... Uh, we didn't really have a natural set-piece taker. We had Graham Shinney taking three kicks. We had Stevie Maycup taking a couple of disappointing set-pieces. If you're not going to start McGinn, you lose quite a lot to the side, not just in terms of creativity, but in terms of set-pieces. And given how how effective a weapon they'd been for us uh, and continue to be, two goals on Saturday both come from, from set-pieces, then you're going to have to have someone else on the side that's going to be able to offer you that. And uh, obviously the guys that came in, CVA and Scott Wright weren't able to replace what Niall McGinn brings you in terms of dead balls. And as the game went on, you know, like say McGinn came on, Anderson came on. I got the feeling watching it, um, Richard, that just the St Johnston goals were almost inevitable. You now Simon quite rightly mentions that you know, Shaughnessy always appears to have something to prove. St Johnston by a by a country mile looked far more likely to get anything out of the game than we did. Well, I don't know if it was inevitable they'd score. At halftime, I, I really kind of had written it off as a classic Kinnis uh, right nil nil affair, but. They could have scored many more goals than they did. They had a guilt-edged chance in the first half that uh, they really should have taken. They had an absolute stone wall of a penalty kick that uh, they should have got at least one, actually. The Logan one was a was a clear-cut one. I think there was one from Max Lowe towards the end as well, which out of sympathy wasn't given, more or less. <laughs> and um, But the goals weren't inevitable, but the goals were really, really soft. The first one is just a, it's a corner into a good area, right enough, but... Andy Constantine is bullied out of that by Joe Shaughnessy. He, if he's going to play centre-half, even on a temporary basis for us, he's got to be much, much stronger than that when a ball comes into the box. That was really poor. And the second, it's uh, Don Ball. Again, he's there as a holding midfielder. He's there as a disruptor. His efforts to try and stop Blair Alston were, were laughable, really. And then none of the centre-halves or none of the uh, defenders go to close him down. So whilst very, very good finish from him for the second, it's all too easy from our point of view. We just weren't doing the basics by that point. 
bit of heads gone after the first one went in because I think we knew that, as is quite often the case in this league, the first goal was, uh, is quite important. Your words on the Twitter feed were no creativity, no invention, no urgency, no composure and no coherent attacking plan. No, it's it's very hard to disagree with that because it, it was one of our worst performances of the season so far, wasn't it? Yeah, and I think the the you know if you're looking at players like um, McLennan and, and Wright and critiquing their performances in relation to McLennan, uh, we'll no doubt come on and talk about his performance against Livingston in a moment. But he is obviously going to be a sort of inconsistent player, but he clearly has something to offer. On Scott Wright, my concern about him is that. When you look back over the period that he's had in the team, his best performances have come against the weaker teams. So he had his hat-trick at Fir Hill. Um, He had a good performance against St Mirren earlier in the season when he was playing in the sort of Peter Pollock role. But in the in the bigger games when he's been given a start, he hasn't really taken his, his chance. In that way, he's starting to remind me of Cammy Smith, who was a player that I really liked. But then there were a number of really quite big games that uh, Cammy Smith got put into, including when he came on after five minutes in the cup final and was subbed off. He got a start in the opening day of the season at Dundee United, I remember. And in the big games where he was given a real opportunity to, to take his chance, he, he didn't do it. And my worry is, with Scott Wright, not that he's not trying or that he's you know, not taking his chance. It's just that his level is not what we really need and that if you look at his better performances, he's performing well against the, the lower teams. I mean, I think St Mirren and Dundee are both really poor teams at the moment this year. Partick Thistle were a poor team the year they were, they were relegated. And my worry is that if we're thinking that we can rotate the squad to give McGinn a rest, maybe we can't. Maybe we don't have the strength in, in depth. And maybe players like Wright are only going to be 10, 15-minute sub-players rather than guys who can actually come on and, and uh, win your matches against teams like St Johnston. Absolutely not writing him off yet, but I think it is a critical se- season for Scott Wright because clearly McInnes' patience appears to have already exhausted on a number of his summer signings. So he is relying a lot more on youth this season, a lot more on Conor McLennan, Scott Wright, Bruce Anderson... Max Lowe's only 20, he's not our player granted. Uh, Lewis Ferguson's playing week in, week out at the age of uh, 19. And Scott McKenna's obviously only 22. So it is a much younger team. And there is an opportunity for him to nail down a, a spot, especially with uh, the strikers certainly not firing at this point. But he's not grasping the opportunity. And all you can do with your young players is give them that opportunity and see if they take it. Some of them absolutely grab it and Scott McKenna obviously is one that comes to mind. Con McLennan appears to be doing that right now but uh, some of them won't hit the mark and, and some of them will have to reluctantly uh, drift off and let go from, from Aberdeen. It's also a much tougher school these days. You know, the, the standard to actually get in that first team has been raised. You know, gone are the days where players are going to get like a whole half season to really bed into this team. You're going to have to start delivering and start delivering quite quickly because there's an expectation at Aberdeen that we're going to win most of the games against um, the, the bottom six teams and the teams perhaps out with Hearts, Hibs and the two Glasgow teams. There, there just isn't the opportunity for someone to be gently introduced into the first team these days. After the St Johnston game, McInnes said, in the second half, the physical exertions of the last two games in Glasgow against the Old Firm started to take its toll. Uh, But despite that, against Livingston, there was only two changes. Um, Now, we knew December was going to be a tough month. Uh, We don't have the type of the size of squad where you're going to be able to make five or six changes every game. But if the manager's saying that sort of thing only 10 days, whatever it was, into into December, does it give you a bit of a fear for the latter part when the latter part of the season comes, Simon? Well, we, we signed uh, Gleeson and Forrester to be first team players, 
and the concern that you have now is that you know we don't see what goes on in training every day, but that the manager doesn't have faith in either of them that he can use them to, to rotate the squad. So then when you get a period where we had Devlin and, and GMS, obviously two first-choice players, missing, um, it, it's difficult to look at the players who might have been rotated in for the Livingston game um, and say, well, that, that player should definitely have got a start or he should have got a start. I, I actually, when, you know, when, when at the, the end of uh, the first half in the Livingston game, although we were behind, I still was pretty confident with the way that um, we were going that we would actually go on and, and win the game. And the second half performance was, was excellent and didn't, didn't demonstrate any uh, tiredness on, on the part of the players. When you look at the, the results that we're talking about this week, the three, the three matches, the biggest concern I have about them is the, the defending. Because we lost five really soft goals, and and the two that we lost in the in the Livingston game in the first half were both really really poor goals, and the one on Saturday against St Mirren was a poor one as well, and we don't because um, Hoban is is injured and I don't know what the prognosis on him is, we are really reduced to playing the same back four at the moment. Uh, every single game there's no opportunity to rotate in, in the back four at all I think that's where we have an issue is that you know at halftime the Livingston game we know that we're going to have to score two second half goals to, to win the match looking at the, the squad uh, I wouldn't really disagree with, with any of the decisions that McInnes has made in relation to the signings I think Wilson and Forrester and Gleeson when I've seen them haven't really looked at the part Wilson's had a couple of flashes but beyond that I haven't seen much in any of them and I think he's probably to, to a large extent, getting it right. I've got sympathy with Wilson to a degree. Everyone's really, really quick to, to write everybody off these days. And gone are the days where a guy like Gordon Strachan can join us from, from Dundee and, and not show his best form for at least 12 months and then come on to a game and, well, some game it was. Worry is with a loan signing, they really have to hit the ground running or it's, um, it's almost pointless, even if you've got them for the full season. And we're in a situation where we're in December and we're still talking about getting him up, getting him up to speed. It's just not going to happen. I think the manager has lost faith in him in the same way that he's lost faith with um, Forrester and with Gleeson. Also, obviously, it was interesting to, to see that Forrester is back in at least making the 18s now. There's been some talk that there's been some family stuff going on in the background. If that's the case, then hopefully he's able to to get his mind back onto football and, and able to contribute in the second half of the season. But right now, yeah, the, the, the lack of changes between that very flat St. Johnson display and the Livingston game really, really does speak about the fact that the manager has no faith in some of his fringe players. We took the lead, though, against Livingston. Um, a very good a very good opening goal, actually. The good work that McGinn does, he is he's a very good attacking outlet, whether he's on the wing or whether he's through the middle. Um, and it was an excellent opener for us. Yeah, there's been some talk, perhaps abated over the last week, about moving McGinn more central, uh, because obviously he was such a success during his first season here. The goal on Tuesday night, it, it just spoke about, you know, a lot of players would have just thrashed at that and wasted the opportunity. But no, he, he knew he had a bit of space and a bit of time and he was able to guide the finish neatly into the corner. You know, there, was, there wasn't any fuss or flamboyance about it. It was just a neat, nice, minimum of uh, efficiency finish. To some good work by Sam Cosgrove, absolutely. We have been struggling to to get balls into the box. I was really, really interested um, when McInnes had spoken about his summit with his attacking players that um, he'd said that our entries into the penalty box and touches inside the area are on a par with past seasons I, I find that really surprising because to my eyes 
it's been something we've really struggled to do, which is why I would give guys like Wilson a, a little bit of a pass because I think we've not been creating anything like the sort of decent opportunities for our strike force. But on, on Tuesday night, generally speaking, it was a much brighter attacking display. Uh, we got behind them, we got around them. We were just inventive. We, we were a lot of things that were lacking on Saturday. So yeah, absolute fair credit to to Sam Cosgrove for showing us that there's a bit more to him than we first suspected. I think also that um, McGinn has a level of technique that is at a far higher standard, as far as I'm concerned, than the majority of our players. And I do uh, hear McGinn getting stick from the fans, mostly to do with tracking back, work rate, that kind of thing. And obviously, the one of the goals that Motherwell particularly was a shambles, and we'll talk about one of the Livingston goals as well in relation to, to McGinn. But if you watch the, the highlights of these three games that we're talking about, the majority of our chances came from McGinn getting cross balls in or having nice touches. Uh, when he's playing on the left-hand side, he can he is he, genuinely two-footed, so he can he can go on the outside or he can cut in and put balls in with the with the right foot. He, he is a he is a significant attacking weapon when we're trying to unlock a, a defence against a team that's um, you know the teams like Livingston etc are going to come up to Pataji and, and defend in depth. As you said, Richard, his um, his finish. I I don't know that we have any other players. Maybe Wilson is the only other one who could actually take a, a goal like that and just stroke it in the corner. Fantastic goal. We surrendered the lead almost immediately. A careless defender from Constantine, and then Neil McGinn was bullied off the ball by the by Dolly Menga, who is you no know, a, a hefty player, shall we say? But it's that thing of that's what he gives you. What he gives you going forward, you lose with him. Come tracking back And I think that's why Quite unfairly He gets some criticism And it was mo- Even more reckless defense, Defending for the second one And, and it, It's really It was kind of worrying To see Livingston um, And not to be disrespect- Too disrespectful to them But to see a team Like Livingston Absolutely carve our defense open Well it, it, it was caused Really because Max Lowe Went bombing forward On the overlap Assuming that McGinn Would be able to Either you know, get a square pass away or, or, or turn and, and find him. So when McGinn did get bullied off the ball, suddenly there was a, an overlap on our uh, on our left-hand side, their right-hand side. When you see it again, it just looks awfully easy. You know, it's a very, very simple pass, and the, the, the player who scores, McMullen, has got uh, plenty of time to, to pick a spot in the corner. It just looks too easy. Yeah, I, th- I think it's a very good spot that... Um Yes, McGinn makes a mistake, but that mistake doesn't necessarily need to lead to the concession of a goal. There's a lot of stages that play that come after uh, McGinn's mistake, because Max Lowe, he's not really that far out of position, but he allows the goal. He has basically stopped, and he allows the goal scorer, who was actually kind of with him when McGinn loses the ball, he allows him to to wander almost unchallenged into area. Then. Lewis Ferguson tracks back, and instead of again tracking the runner, one Scott McKenna has faced up the Livingston player who has the ball, who then plays it into the Livingston scorer. Lewis Ferguson decides that he's going to go and also face up the guy with the ball and just be completely ineffectual, basically, so that the the ball through, and which is another mistake, because Andy Considine is a couple yards too far back and playing him on side. It's just a, a calamitous goal to lose. If the first one wasn't bad enough, and trust me, it was, and especially coming so soon after we'd taken the lead in a game which was really important to us, given the very bad defeat we'd suffered on the Saturday to get back on track. 
you, you take a lead against a side like Livingston, who've been renowned for getting clean sheets, who've been renowned for uh, being stuffy this season. The last thing you want to do is immediately give them a goal back, which we did for that first goal. And the same thing happened on Saturday as well. We take the lead, and really Samirna had offered very little, and then we concede a very soft goal. So there's worrying trends there as well. So then half-time comes, and on comes Conor McLennan, the latest young player that we're going to be looking to to dig us out of a hole, I think it seems to be in some ways. And immediately he, come on, he came on, Richard, he looked really bright. I, was spoke, I spoke last week about you know, the kind of gallusness I think he has, um, and that showed automatically as well. He created a really good chance for Max Lowe, who kind of just fired, kind of fired it straight at the keeper. Um, but then, a more great work from him, and he sets up Cosgrove for the leveller. Just all the second half, basically, it was give me the ball, I'm going to run at them, give me the ball, I'm going to run at them, give me the ball, I'm going to run at them. You know, not every single time did he beat his man, but most times he did. I think their left back would have been having nightmares about him. It was, it was just incessant, and it was a, uh, and I hate to turn a positive into a negative, but it was a complete contrast to the guy he'd replaced at half time, Scott Wright. The balls into the box weren't always perfect, sometimes there were a few overhits, sometimes he didn't pick out a man. But you're, you're right to, to point out the, the low ball across, which I think actually McGinn, I, I thought it was low initially, but I think McGinn then shot straight at the keeper. But the ball in for Cosgrove's goal, it, it's just a fantastic ball. It's got pace, it's got power, it's got a trajectory which is going to be very, very difficult to deal with. And credit again to Sam Cosgrove. It's a proper striker's finish, isn't it? He gets across his defender, manages to guide it in, just about guides it in. You can <laughs> certainly picture that one having ballooned off the top of the bar and over. So yeah, again, credit to Cosgrove. Another aspect of his game which perhaps we didn't think was necessarily quite there. Um, and it, exactly what we needed at the start of that second half when tempers were a bit afraid around the ground after that first half, after the calamity of having lost those two goals and having lost control of the game. You know what, the crowd really got behind Aberdeen, partly because of what Conor McLennan was doing, partly because he was providing inspiration, he was being attacking, he was driving the team on. And there was none of that from the crowd against Injust on the Saturday because we didn't have any of that attacking play. You see the, the season to date, we've um, been talking a lot about the lack of confidence in our forward players. Suddenly you've got a guy who comes on in the cup final and the first thing he does is take out an international fullback with a trick. Um, he's got the confidence to try that, his first, more or less his first touch. Same on uh, Wednesday, uh, Tuesday night. He comes on as a sub and the first thing he's doing is aggressively attacking. He's confident in, in possession himself and he's got belief in himself. And I think that does transmit to the rest of the players that, that they think, right, come on, we can have a real good go at this. And I think the, the whole mindset of the second half really did kick off with him having those two really strong runs um, in, the, in the first sort of 10, 15 minutes of the, of the, the second half. Really direct approach, uh, aggressive, competitive and confident in himself. And uh, I think it, it rubs off on, on everyone else. I think we could have put the game to bed long before we did. Leading to the manager post-match, actually really praising Stevie May with the, the legendary, he, he did everything but score. But it wasn't Stevie May that got the winner, it was um, that man again. Young Lewis Ferguson. He took his chance very well. It was a great overhead kick again. Once again, this guy comes up with a goal at an important time. If we can start on Stevie May, first of all, um, May in the Livingston game worked really, really hard and and he put on a tremendous cross on a plate for Andy Constantine for a chance that he should have scored um, when he won the ball on the, on the, on the um, byline. But in the Livingston game, he missed two good chances. And in the St. John's, uh, sorry, the St. Mirren game, he missed a similar chance. 
and all three of them were missed because he was very conservative in his finishing. He shot right down the middle of the goal um, and made it easy for the goalkeeper. And if you watch the clips of the season when uh, May had his um, 27-goal season for St Johnston, and we'll no doubt remember this because of the Cup semi-final when he scored against us, many of his goals were hard, low-driven shots right in the corner. And it seems to me that because he's got a lack of confidence in himself in front of in front of goal, he is concentrating on just making sure he hits the target rather than finishing in the way that he in the way that he used to. And I think the old Stevie May, you know, this has nothing to do with his his pace or you know if he's maybe lost a bit of pace through his through his injury. This is just about having confidence and backing himself in his in his finishing. And for whatever reason, he just doesn't have that at the moment. You know, on the positive side, he did work exceptionally hard and he did. Uh, contribute really positively to a lot of the, the attacking, particularly in the second half. On on Lewis Ferguson, he's pulled off that, that uh, overhead kick twice now. I think you, you have to put it down to, to excellent technique. You know, both the, the Burnley one and, uh, and that one, they're not really even chances. You know, most players wouldn't even have attempted to do that because the ball didn't really reach a height that they could really get over the top of it. And so most players would have just ended up hooking it over the crossbar. So, t- so to have the ability to, to do that, um, you know, with what was going to be more or less the last chance of the match, it's it's not a coincidence. It's because Ferguson has been practicing his technique and he knows what he's doing. Going back to the start of the season, I saw um, Ferguson make his debut in a, a friendly against uh, Falkirk at Arbroath, and he came on as a sub and, and scored the winner. And I think at that time, we would have all thought that he would be very lucky to make that many appearances in the first team at all during the season. And now, you know, he's he's one of the first choice players that, that we have, a guy who's still going on to the, the end of the game, scoring really, really important goals. And I think, quite frankly, we're, we're lucky because it has masked, get, getting such a good player as him has masked the, the poor recruitment elsewhere last summer. And we'll move on now to the St Mirren game. We're going to, you're going to a game against St Mirren against a team with one win in 17 of their last fixtures. Um, so you're always going to dominate quite a lot of the game, which I think we did. These teams that are struggling, and as we'll talk about in a minute when we're talking about some of the upcoming fixtures, it, it did feel like one of these fixtures that was going to be difficult, but it's just about getting over the line. Delighted we got the three points, obviously. I'd, and I don't think we were ever in serious trouble. Disappointed, clearly, to lose the goal so soon after we took the lead. I think right now... You just want to put a couple of results together because we've really struggled to do that over this season. This next little spell offers you an opportunity to do that. You're absolutely right. It was a filthy afternoon. The weather was horrific. You know, the rain was coming in sideways. Three points. Fine. Let's move on. However, the fluency still isn't quite there, is it? There was some, it's, again, there was some good work from, uh, from Connor McLennan. Um, I thought both our fullbacks did well yesterday. There's beginning to be signs that both Cosgrove and May can work together. Compare the performance yesterday to the two performances against St Mirren early in the season. And I accept that obviously St Mirren will probably have improved, having spent a couple of months under their new manager now. And McInnes pointed this out after the game, the level of control simply wasn't there. Um, the level of control that you'd expect Aberdeen sides over the past few seasons, in fact, when uh, they had to lead in a game like that, wasn't really there either. And I don't know whether that's because, obviously, he's playing one less in midfield now than he has done over the past few years, or, or simply because we don't have the kind of ball players in there that we've maybe had over the past couple of years. Guys who really enjoy holding on to the ball, treat the ball with a bit of respect. I'm speaking about Kenny McLean, I'm speaking about and I know this will get right up some people's backs, but Ryan Jack. And we, do, we don't have those players. We've got Graham Shinney, 
who is a fantastic ball-winning midfielder. And there seems to be a bit of a struggle for some people to understand what a ball-winning midfielder is, but he he's very good at it, brought into the national squad on that basis. And you've got Lewis Ferguson, who we're, we're really only kind of beginning to understand what he can bring as a player. And obviously one of the things that he brings from midfield is that goal threat. I would perhaps like to see him get a bit more involved in the course of play. Uh, I'm not sure I'm seeing enough of that from him, but again, maybe that's because we've been so focused on either going long sometimes or we've been so focused on uh, going down the wings to attack. And our goal comes from um, a penalty kick. Um, now, it was an absolute suicidal, stupid foul for uh, St Mirren to give away. Stevie May, in the absence of Gary Mackay, Stephen, steps up and takes the penalty. Now, Simon, you, were t- you spoke quite rightly about him maybe having a little bit of lack of confidence. Despite only being a penalty, it's important for a guy like him to get a goal then, isn't it? Yes, absolutely. I mean, that's, that's his first goal of the season. And, and going back to what Derek was saying after the Livingston game about how important, you know, how well he played, did everything but getting a goal. So to, to, to get a goal, I think, is, is really important. And uh, strikes it away extremely confidently. So he doesn't look, when he's taking his penalty, like a player who's, uh, who's short of confidence. The point I made earlier... Uh, the, the disappointing thing for me is that when we have these run of fixtures against teams like St Mirren and, and Livingston, and hopefully we'll get he'll get more chances against Dundee on uh, on Tuesday night. I think he really needs to take some of these um, open play chances because I think it would do him a lot of good and it would improve his confidence and it would also make him maybe look at getting into the right positions to find those those opportunities uh, again. I do think that his his attitude's good, can't fault the work rate, but um, I really, really would like to see him getting a goal from open play. When you talk about that St Mirren equaliser, Richard, I mean, there is a hint of offside in it. The reaction from our defence, again, is very worrying. I know we know we're missing our, one of our first-choice central defenders. That is a, an absolutely like, terrible bit of defending from, from an Aberdeen time. Again, I'm kind of stealing a little bit from um, sports scenes coverage of it here. It's not the centre-half sort of playing the St Mirren side on. I mean, it's obviously a training ground move by Simone, and they've worked it very well to, to break that line and to get a couple of guys in behind, so it's a very simple finish. But it's Sam Cosgrove who's two or three yards behind everybody else and, and plays all the Simone side on. Obviously, it's disappointing. It's more about the timing of it. You want to be really switched on in the few minutes after you've taken the lead. Because if you can do that, if you can just keep out what will be the inevitable reaction from the opposition at that point, it just makes your position in the game that much more secure. And we weren't able to do that. I want to stress that it was never a free kick in the first place. I mean, the guy just buys it completely. Perhaps I shouldn't be too harsh given that we got our winner on uh, Tuesday night from a corner that shouldn't have been given, but... <laughs> Before we talk about our winning goal We'll just talk about We've also got some upcoming fixtures coming up We've got the hapless Dundee on Tuesday And then our free-falling friends from Gorgie Come to visit on Saturday as well Nothing drastic's going to be happening So we'll, we'll probably see maybe one, maybe two uh, Going into these the games Which, like you say, you know, you'd like to see about Dundee definitely should be a should be a chance for the for us to maybe create a little bit more, definitely. Well, Dundee have clearly improved. They've got a guy that knows this league in charge. They've got someone scoring goals for them. Who would have thought that Kenny Miller would still be scoring goals in the SPFL in uh, 2018? So I don't see it being certainly anything like the walkover it would have been a couple of months ago. Uh, and no, as, as I said earlier, I don't think there will be m- many changes simply because he doesn't trust his squad. Mackay Stephen, it's been two weeks now since his injury. I wouldn't be entirely surprised to see him back. Devlin, as far as I've been made aware, will be after the winter break before we see him again. But I could be entirely wrong with that. 
Mark Reynolds, I think, is a, a couple of weeks away. Um, he's been light training to date. Update on Hoban that was provided during the week is that he'll be ready to rejoin post the winter break. So there's a little bit of relief coming in, in certain key positions. I think we should have enough to take care of Dundee on Tuesday, whatever 11 are, are put out. But I don't think there'll be many changes due to the fact that the four attacking players probably deserve another 90 minutes. So I think Cosgrove and Maida, they deserve some more time to see whether there's anything in that uh, combination. And also because the other attackers haven't really shown quite enough to to move them off of that uh, starting role. And I think certainly McLennan and McGinn are almost stick-ons to start as well. Yes, you, you would like to think he could use the squad more, but the, the simple fact is he doesn't trust the squad right now. I think we should avoid getting too uh, overconfident about either of these games, to be honest. The second places that we've secured in the last four years have been... to a large extent based on getting really, really strong runs of wins against the bottom six teams. We've been really, really consistent in doing that, and I would expect us to have enough to take Dundee. But it's worth remembering that they got a point against Rangers with 10 men for most of the game, and actually, you know, battled away in a very organised fashion to get that point. You're referring to Hearts as free-falling, and obviously they did an absolutely awful result on, on Friday. In many ways, I think that makes our game more difficult than it would otherwise have been. The, uh, the players have cancelled a trip that they were meant to be going on. I think they were having a booze-up in Prague and have cancelled that. Um, and if you watch the game, fair enough, they lost 5-0 to Livingston, but they lost all five goals in the last 20 minutes. Um, I think Hearts will give us a big physical team. They, in the absence of their main uh, attacking threat in uh, Naismith and, and Dick Piatchu, they have got a lot of big... Um, rugged defensive uh, type players they have a player called Herring that plays in centre midfield who looks really more like a centre back and um, just because Livingston beat them 5-0 we shouldn't assume that we will uh, be able to walk over them so I'm hopeful that we'll get the, the, the six points and I certainly would expect us to get three against Dundee but I don't think that we should be um, counting our chickens we should be looking at this as an opportunity to think right well if you know, if we really go and uh, go for this, we can get the the four wins in a row, and that'll be the kind of run of results that we've had in, in years gone by, and that will secure us either probably third or fourth going into the going into the winter break, regardless of what happens in the in the Celtic game on on, on Boxing Day. But I think the way the league is this season as well, I think the the old pattern of, uh, of just accepting and demanding three points from these games. Fine, I think every three points should be celebrated this season because it is going to be a battle in most of these games. There are some exceptions. The Moon and Dundee are obviously cut adrift down at the bottom. But most of the other teams provide a distinct tactical challenge for us to try and to try and break down. It's a completely different exercise trying to beat St Johnston as it is trying to beat Livingston as it is trying to beat Hibs. So it, it's a challenging league this year and certainly all the teams towards the top are dropping more points. It doesn't excuse some of our defeats because some of our defeats have been, we've not, you know, we have simply not turned up at the likes of uh, the first 45 at Tynecastle or at Far Parker against St Johnston the other week. But I, I don't think we should be quite so blasé about the wins, the standard wins that we've become very accustomed to. Like beforehand, if you'd told me on Tuesday that I'd be um, massively celebrating a last-minute winner against Livingston, I, you know, I'd have told you to stop trying to be funny. But that's how the game panned out. And we were all delighted that the team showed the drive and determination to get that last-minute win. So I do believe that um, there was still life in this season. There's still an opportunity to to do something this season. And there's no point looking too far ahead. The challenge is Dundee on Tuesday. 
then we can talk about hearts and then we can talk about the challenge they provide because we all know exactly exactly what a Craig Levine team is going to be like, especially a Craig Levine team on the end of a 5-0 hammering. If you thought um, you had seen stuffy from a Levine team before, well, you ain't seen nothing yet, I suspect. Of course, I wasn't being totally 100% serious earlier on about Hearts. Um, they're just, as I'm sure people who are regular listeners to this podcast will know, there is nobody in Scotland that likes a cheap dig more at Hearts more than myself and Richard. Is there, Rich? Let's just say the 5-0 on, uh, on Friday was received very uh, welcomely uh, around here. <laughs> Absolutely. Now, we're going to take your some of the questions we got from the Twitter feed, just as kind of discussion topics here. So we skirted over a little bit the Sam Crosgrove winner um, against St Mirren, um, a stat that was pointed out by Richard on the Twitter feed as being Sam Crosgrove is the first Aberdeen striker to score in successive games since January. And of course, the last person to do that was the, the much maligned Adam Rooney. So we've got a question kind of from two guys, Jonathan Main and Graham Herb, Herb sent in. Uh, is it time to give May and Cosgrove a run in the team to see if they can solve our scoring problems? Should we possibly send uh, James Wilson back to Man United early or try, and try and get in another striker to help May and Cosgrove? Uh, where do you stand on that one, Simon? Well, um, I think uh, the answer to the first part of that is yes. I think it probably is time to give me and Cosgrove a, a run. I don't think that because Cosgrove has managed to score against St Mirren and Livingston, we should necessarily assume that he's going to cut loose on the goal-scoring front between now and the end of the season, though. Um, you know, he's still only got four goals. What he brings, though, is... Um, you know, frankly, he holds the ball up, and and when he's not there, and you notice this when we were going for it in the in the cup final, and when he's not there, we don't hold the ball up nearly so well. We've got difficulty bringing other players into the into the team, uh, but he does need somebody to play with him. So if we're going to do uh, whether it's going to be a four four two or a four two three one, um, he's going to require somebody in a forward role like me. To, to be able to pick up the knockdowns and and to to you know offer some options for him to bring them into into the game, but he he does work hard. You know there are there are times where he can look very clumsy when the ball bounces off him, but he is big and strong and works very hard. Is he had an excellent assist for the goal at, at Ibrox as well. And the last few games he's really really been. I think um, you know you can't fault his effort. He should have had either a, a penalty or a, um, at least a free kick on the edge of the box in the Livingston game as well. And. Uh, I'm not going to miss the opportunity to have a go at my old friend Craig Thompson for getting that one hopelessly wrong. At least he, he uh, paid us back with a corner in the last minute, but um, the, the, the booking was a complete joke. So, so Cosgrove, I think, does deserve a, a run in the team, and May, I think, is showing a lot more. I say I do want to see him start to score goals, because if we accept that Cosgrove is probably not going to score a lot of goals, then we do need somebody to, to, to be the guy who is finding the net on a semi-regular basis. And, you know, for May to reach this point in the season, and I know he's not been playing every game, but to reach this point in, in mid-December and his only goal for the season is a penalty, you know, he, he really does have to start taking some of the chances, but, but he is working hard. Um, on, on Wilson... I guess my view is that if we take a player on loan from, from Man United, then the reality is that given his wages, um, he's probably not ever going to sign for us on a permanent basis, and I'm not sure we'd want him to anyway, unless he is really giving us something that's better than the other lads, why would we give him uh, game time ahead of Bruce Anderson? You know, if, if, if it came to it that we wanted to replace May midway through the second half of, of the Dundee match, I'd far rather see Anderson, who's you know signed a, a decent deal with us and is with us till I think, whatever, 2021. I would far rather see Anderson get game time and try and get a goal and, and, and get his confidence up than uh, do anything with Wilson. And that's not me writing him off or, or, or you know being particularly critical of him. It's just that 
I don't. He doesn't strike me as being especially brilliant. He has scored one superb goal for us, but um, beyond that, I think there are some games that look like he they, they pass him by quite a lot. Um, I don't think he displays the kind of real desire that you know we get from from the likes of McLennan that you saw in the Livingston game. And so, if 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 Wilson is in my head at least um, officially the fourth choice striker, and we have an opportunity to maybe look at getting somebody better in, then I'd probably be all up for that. I'll pose my next one to you there, Richard. And we've got one in from Justice Lee, Justin Lee Anderson. Um, and there's quite a few quite a few points here, so I'll go through them. Um, what, what do you think our priorities and possible targets should be in January? Um, and additionally, that if Gary Mackay, Stephen and Shinney are both going to be leaving at the end of the season, who do you think would be taking over the captaincy? Obviously, when you look at priorities and possible targets, do you think there's a reason McInnes only signs British Isles players? Because it's very expensive to to scout in the rest of Europe, that's why. Yeah. He prefers to sign players who have been scouted as opposed to recommended by agents, which obviously other managers are, are more willing to do. So that's why predominantly it's been a it's been a UK based based scout, uh, scouting and recruitment exercise. But I think maybe what the last couple of windows have shown is that it's very very difficult to get good value. Um, out of the lower leagues in England now, I, I just think that the caliber, the the recruitment that we've got there, with a few very notable exceptions, obviously Joe Lewis is a is a tremendous goalkeeper, and he was secured um, from down south, and and Shea Logan has uh, has made that right back position his own. It's just it's increasingly difficult to to get the sort of value, and especially when we're a team who do not have money to burn, we cannot, you know, when we actually pay money for someone we're looking for something a bit special from them and we're not seeing that from the last two guys we've shelled out for and uh, Stevie May and um, Chris Forrester came from down south the recruitment has to get better it has to uh, because managers stand or fall by this and a success rate of about 40% isn't really going to cut it and it's been that way for the last couple of windows and he'll know this himself he'll know that being let down by these guys that he's placed his trust in on the other side of that coin he has got it wrong the the tacit admission is that they are not getting game time one thing he's been very good at throughout his time here is moving these guys on quickly when they fail. Greg Wilde was here on a three-year contract, lasted six months. Um, Calvin Zola was moved on very quickly. I can't see that um, any of the three of them will be here for too much longer, to be perfectly honest. Moving on to some of the other, other questions, I think a lot depends on what happens with Scott McKenna, to be perfectly honest. I think if um, McKenna goes, then that changes the... Uh, dynamics quite significantly, both in terms of, I suppose, what we're able to offer Guy Mackay, Stephen and Shinny to stay. Right now, it looks like they're both away. Absolutely. I can't see any other scenario. It's not how McInnes does his business. There would have been offers made to both of them, and clearly those offers have, have not been accepted. The club do not want them to move into that last six-month period when they're free to talk to anyone else. I, I cannot see them staying. I think there'll definitely be suitors for both of them who can pay more than we can, who are willing to pay more than we can. If McKenna goes, obviously you need to replace him. Trade Halkett at Livingston has been a name that's been mentioned in dispatches, not just by ourselves, but other other clubs are looking at him. I think he'd be he'd be a, a decent enough signing. I looked at I was actually paying fairly close attention to him on Tuesday and I wasn't overly impressed, but that's only one game and obviously he comes back and makes a big contribution 
on Friday night as they hammer hearts. The captaincy thing, again, that's tied up a little bit in the... I mean, McKenna is the natural vice-captain right now, I would say, to Shinny. If you lose Shinny and you lose uh, McKenna, you have a bit of void in that as well. But Devlin probably is the next cab in that particular rank. And a final question, um, I'll post it for both of you here as well, for Mike Perry. How do you go about replacing the creativity through the centre of the pitch that we lost in the summer with McLean, Christie and Stuart all going and Forrester not stepping up to fill that void? Could come to you first with that one, Simon. Well, with with considerable difficulty, to be honest. I mean, looking at uh, Greg Stewart, when we didn't uh, look at him again for this season, I think we all assumed that Derek had better options up his sleeve. I think Greg Stewart blew a bit hot and cold for us last season, but probably in the second half of the season, overall, I think, was a positive player for us. He's looked excellent at at Kilmarnock um, this season. And I wouldn't be at all surprised if we had him in mind, potentially, if he's out of contract at the end of this summer, then I think he would be a player that we would be thinking about in terms of... of, uh, Creativity. I know that we were close to getting uh, Christian. I don't think Celtic realised what exactly they had on their hands with with him. Um, players like uh, Christie uh, don't come around very often, and it's very difficult to look around the league and think, well, you know, where would we go to to look at either the lower um, half of the the SPFL or the top half of the Championship and, and find players with that that sort of um, creativity. Um, so looking at uh, players in, in that sort of um, zone If Shinny were to leave I would expect us to look at Kamara of Dundee uh, I know that he's someone has been mentioned a few times In relation to both Aberdeen I think also Rangers potentially uh, Looking at him uh, I watched uh, uh, Scott Fraser That used to play for uh, uh, Dundee United Playing for uh, Burton Albion Against Nottingham Forest a couple of weeks ago And he looked superb um, a guy who's really kind of stepped up again he's probably getting paid more at Burton than we could afford but he would be a guy who has creativity and drive from, from midfield but the reality is that um, we may find that the board is looking at the money that we've spent on the likes of Forrester and the, the salary payments that we pay to, to Gleeson and Forrester and, and even the transfer fee paid for Stevie May and are thinking that well we get better value if we're looking at players that we can pick up on on freeze or the the guys that we're we're bringing through the ranks are, ourselves and I I think we should probably um, you know if if McKenna goes and we get a, a large um, chunk of cash in then then the board might well be persuaded to spend some of it on on new signings but I I wouldn't get overly excited about that my my guess is that we will be looking at fairly um, modest value replacements for any of these guys that leave. Yeah, McKenna said a little bit of a whinge uh, during the week about not being able to afford his top targets during the week, uh, that they may have solved his striker woe. I, I do wonder up front whether we kind of threw the baby out with the bathwater a little bit. Uh, Adam Rooney struggled last season. A lot of us wrote him off to a degree based on that, um, based on the fact that uh, he wasn't fitting with um, our new style. Although I don't think anyone really could tell me what our new style was. I think maybe what we're seeing with our struggles this season is that it wasn't necessarily Rooney's fault for that. We have lost a lot of very talented players over the past few uh, windows. And there's definitely a question on the Greg Stewart front about whether we we got the best out of him, whether we were able to utilise him correctly. I find it very frustrating that uh, you know we're only suddenly now playing with uh, two up top to try and accommodate Cosgrove and May when we wouldn't do it for the fullness of last season to try and accommodate 
Greg Stewart alongside a regular partner. There, there were a lot of frustrations. The frustration that we were very, very close two summers running to securing Ryan Christie and, and weren't able to get hold of him. And the pool in Scotland, obviously there's there's more clubs now with a, with a pooling power, with the finances to match us. Uh, than there the were when we were picking up the likes of Kenny McLean for 150 grand. So, so it gets harder in Scotland, and I'm not convinced you're seeing the value down south. I'm not going to come up with a list of names for for who's going to fill in these places. I think it's almost more important that we we actually get a style and a system that works for us, rather than concerning ourselves overly with who needs to fit into that. Uh, Again, start of the season, nobody would have said that Conor McLennan was going to end up being a a great source of uh, goals and assists from the wing, because I don't think any of us thought that Conor McLennan was necessarily that type of player. When he first broke through, he was a night-to-night striker. And you would have thought maybe in the intervening years he would have, he would have bulked up to become the sort of target man that we were bringing in and Sam Cosgrove. I think we also, if, if we are going to lose Shinny, and I agree with you that that looks inevitable because even if we were to get a huge fee for McKenna, the, the salaries on offer in the championship, which is no doubt where he would go, far exceed what... Uh, what, what we would be able to pay him, and he will see guys like uh, McGeeck last year and, and, and others going down going down south and, and, and getting paid really far more than, than we would offer him. So I, I, I don't think there's really much hope of persuading him to, to stay even if we up the offer. And so if we do think he's going, it, it's not just his positional play or, or his, you know, there are, there are more skillful players than him around, but it's to do with leadership and attitude and what he brings in, in the captaincy. And, and, and in him we, we have a true captain which is maybe missing you know obviously in Russell Anderson we had that but for periods we, we didn't really have that and you, and you really notice it when it's not there and I think that is something we would have to, to look at when we're bringing in players is do we have anyone who is going to be able to take on that leadership role because if Shinny goes and we assume that McKenna is not going to be around forever then that puts an awful lot of pressure on the likes of, of Devlin to, to take on that, that mantle and he can't do it in his own. No, and you want leaders all over the pitch, obviously. But Devlin is uh, an experienced SPFL captain. Halkett would be a captain if he were to come in. Uh, and it's something which historically McInnes has liked to do. Even with guys like Paul Quinn, he was uh, Ross County captain when he came in. It, it doesn't automatically translate that when you're captain at these, ty- at these teams, you're going to be able to step up to the mark at Aberdeen. Equally, it doesn't always translate that if you're playing well, at a Dundee or Kilmarnock that you're going to be able to step up and translate that at Aberdeen. And I'm pointing the finger at Greg Stewart here to some degree as well because it's not just down to the manager and the, and the position and the formation he was playing in. There's got to be some responsibility for the player as well. You know, Greg Stewart pitched up here at, at Pataudry, overweight for a professional footballer. We didn't really see the best of him. And that's it's not all purely down to, to the formation, to where he was asked to play. McInnes is always the one in the firing line, it seems. But there is a personal responsibility for these players at times too. Well, I agree, and I don't think any of us were madly in love with Greg Stewart at all at the time. Uh, it's just that as the way the season's panned out and the way he's played for Kilmarnock, you do sort of look over the, the hedge at the neighbour and think, gosh, you know, well, maybe we could have uh, brought that out of him if we'd, uh, if we'd tried to keep him. I, I, I agree that um, he was definitely blue, hot and cold last season for us. It's been great fun taking questions from you as well. I'm sure we'll do it again in an, an episode very soon. So that's us for this week. Yeah, I'd just like to thank Simon for coming on the show again. It's always It's a pleasure always when you're on, Simon. 
Thanks very much. As always, thank you very much, Richard, for joining us. Yeah, thank you, Simon. Uh, not Simon, thank you, Martin. <laughs> no problem. Thank you, Simon, um, as well, yeah, though. Definitely. Uh, it's a big, big week for Aberdeen. We've got two games um, right before Christmas. Uh, so let's hope we get six points out of that, and we'll, we'll speak to you in a week's time. Come on, you Reds. <laughs>